Hello. Hey. Welcome to another missed edition. Missed me, didn't you? It was more that you all missed me. You were we here didn't. last week. We didn't. Oh. But I thought that maybe in your day-to-day life, you weren't interrupted. You didn't get like your weekly fill of interruptions. You are definitely my weekly fill of interruption. <laughs> and with that, we are beginning the show, I guess. So uh, I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. You're listening to Thinking Like a Lawyer. I am joined by Catherine Rubino. As usual. Yeah. We do not have Chris this week. He's, uh, he's on a train and unable to join. So we're going to soldier on and uh, begin with you know, as we usually do with small talk. Yeah. <laughs> See, that didn't interrupt me at all. I know, because I don't try to interrupt you. absolutely you. do. You're no, just a little slow on the button. That, Admit it. That's not true. You're lying. No, it's just that you were so very verbose that, like, you're talking all the time whenever I am hitting it. But I'm... I'm ex- Are you, for with a straight face, trying to pretend like I talk more on this show than you do? I mean... It's not a video show, so I don't know. I don't know how you think it's a straight face, but you you're wild. You are. How was your weekend? Let's just skip right past the lies and obvious things that you're doing there. Very similar to your weekend. I know <laughs> uh, because uh, and also the reason why Chris isn't with us. Uh, the three of us were went to a debate tournament. We, we did. actually judged the finals together, so that was... We did. It was a 3-0 decision. We, we all agreed. agreed. Yes, so your podcast panel all agreed, so there we go. Yeah, we should have We should have just videoed our reason for a decision at the end of it, and then we could have been done with a the podcast. special episode. Yeah. Very special episode. It is, in fact, uh, the Cross-Examination Debate Association's topic this year is a legal topic, so theoretically, yeah. we could have made it work. Tangentially legal, yeah. So, yeah, it's about legal personhood. It's at least something. Mm-hmm. People talk about law professors occasionally. Yeah. So anyway, so they, yeah, so that was my very exhausting weekend. Of course, I wasn't here last week because I was at the Association of Corporate Counsel annual meeting where general counsel and other in-house legal department members uh, from around the world are all gathering together to talk about their trade. And Were you like living your best conference life? I mean, I, I don't, I, I assume so. Uh, <laughs> I, I was living a life. Uh, I you, was, are, you are still alive, so you made it through. Check mark. I'll tell you, it was a little scary. The, the event was held in the Resorts World Casino in Las Vegas, which I had never been to, but is a very lovely casino. And I gotta, I gotta say, one of the things it does, it issues the whole maze-like format of a casino. Okay, like you can, so they're, they're not interested in you getting lost in the casino yeah, floor. clear lines of sight, easy to navigate. It's as though they, they've given up on the mental tricks and decided, eh, you're going to give us your money anyway. <laughs> I mean, we're selling fun. You're going to buy. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be fine. It doesn't matter. You don't have to feel like you're being tricked into having fun. You're just going to want to have fun. I was unable to stay in that hotel. So speaking of being tricked into having fun, I stayed at Circus Circus. Uh, ah, yeah. See, I would have thought now would have been your moment for your clown sound effect. Oof. Yeah, I guess yeah? that's no? true. No? See, that sounds like you're you're saying at Circus Circus. Yeah, so I so it did that. Uh, what was that, that is, like? Um, it is um, not like Resort World. 
I think I think that is a glowing endorsement of Resort World. It was a uh, it was an experience. Uh, yeah, I, I mean Hunter S. Thompson wrote some stuff about how Circus Circus is what the Germans would be doing on a Saturday night if the Nazis had won the war, uh, and I. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I don't know about that, but it, it did kind of have the feel of a January 6th reunion. Oh, no. In there. So, yeah. So it, it it is an interesting, an interesting locale. <laughs> One it sounds like you are happy to be away from. You know, I mean, it, it there were aspects of it that were an experience. So I gather also that somebody told me that it's getting a full renovation in the next couple of mm. years. So it may well be a completely different place the next time we're out there. But. I also think it's interesting. You've been to a bunch of different legal conferences this yes. month. You're sort of our man on the ground when it comes to conference life. Why are there so many, first of all, all back to back? And and what is the difference between them? It seems like I imagine there's a lot of overlap. It's not just you, you're not the only one going to all of these. That's true. Well, there is, there is some overlap. Uh, so, yes, this week, uh, this month, I've been to three conferences. It's too to many. The, it, it does feel like too many. I went to the Clio Cloud Conference, which, of course, is a product conference. So that's just Clio, the practice management software platform for a lot of small and solo firms, again, ranging up to midsize. But uh, that that platform has a show for its clients where they come and, you know, part of it is training sessions and also just things of interest to their client base, whatever. Uh, so that is very much a show, uh, a product centric show. Then I went to the corporate council event. That is not that. That is very much about the business of being in-house counsel. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are tech vendors there too, plying their wares, but also law firms, consulting firms, that's kind of the world of ACC. ACC. Uh, I went then back to back, I flew directly from there to Relativity Fest, which is another product based show. So Relativity, the uh, they issue, document, they're, they're trying to push away from the word e-discovery, but the... I mean, I think for plenty of lawyers or folks who have done document review at all, it, 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 they have very visceral memories of relativity. Right. I which, certainly do. Which obviously, uh, historically, e-discovery is the, the space they played in, but they've done a lot of, you know, like a lot of that world, uh, the technological gains that were made in facilitating e-discovery have other applications. And so there was a lot of talk there about the where, ways in which it expands. Uh, they now have a translate tool, for instance. Yeah. Uh, they, have, they have algorithms that allow you to zero in on emotional markers uh, to figure out, like, to pop, you can pop into the whole thing and say, like, here's where the tone between these two people became angry. Huh. Uh, stuff like that. Uh, so that you can zero so, your So the machines in. are truly taking over all of our jobs. That's what that feels like. <laughs> I mean, it, it. it's not that they're completely taking over. But yeah, it, it is... An application I, that listen, as is someone who cool. spent a lot of years in my life doing document review and sort of managing that aspect of litigation, certainly I would always say that being able to detect tone and understand sort of, you know, the nuance of language was a real benefit and the reason why we actually needed human eyes looking at these documents, making sure they're getting to the right parties and making sure it's going up the litigation chain. But you're telling me now that the 
AI does it. Well, I don't know as though the AI does it. I think the AI makes the human better able to do it, to, to do that job. Because instead mm. of going through 30,000 documents to find where the tone got angry, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to isolate, you know, 50 documents that seem like mm -hmm. an they're angry. And then the human can make the distinctions between them uh, when it's a joke, when it's not. But it makes that job easier by, you know, Calling that sure. uh, well, yeah. easier, but potentially less lucrative as you're spending fewer hours <laughs> accomplishing it. Don't worry, there are more cases out there. <laughs> you can just do other matters. Anyway, so yeah, so I did that. So yeah, a lot of lot of stuff back to back. Well, I, well are you happy to be back? Uh, yes, good to be back. Good to uh, for our you know to uh, I feel like a debt to our listeners, so I feel like I'm. You know, I let them down by not being here last year. I think everyone week. was cool with it. I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I, I would assume that I was missed terribly. Oh, ter terribly. No, mm -hmm. we, uh, so I'm glad we were very fortunate. Liz Dye, one of our columnists, came on last week. I'm sure we'll have her again on in the near future. And so it was, it was like we, we survived without you, Joe. Mm, not sure, <laughs> but whatever. We're, uh, I think we've talked smallly for a really long time. Fair. What are we talking about? Uh, I think the first story we're going to actually jump into is one of your stories. Uh, you've written about sort of the back to the office um, mm -hmm. world, like what's going on. Uh, big law firms are kind of trying to feel out how many days a week they need to be in the office. Is it mandatory? Which days are mandatory? Lots of questions abound. And I know Cravath, who is you know, perennially the compensation leader is also making some pretty notable moves in this space as well. I think that's true. Figuring out how to get back to the office has been a big discussion uh, in the immediate aftermath of COVID. There was conversations about maybe making a four-day in the office work week. Uh, the work week would continue to be five or more accurately seven for big law lawyers. But <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. You don't have to work less. Right. But four in the office. Right. Uh, was talked about. Uh, there was then some folks going with three. What if it's three days in the office? Uh, and the kind of recruiting arms race became who can uh, be more flexible and hospitable to people working, continuing to work from home. In the meantime, there were also folks who continue to be just generally averse to being around other people, and they don't want to go to the office at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to push them to one side in this conversation because no hybrid office policy is ever going to satisfy that concern. But for the people who want to be in an office, but just not necessarily every day, four was an option, three became an option. Cravath actually originally came out with a proposal that I dubbed the 3.5 option, mm. which I thought was very interesting. It, it split that four, three, divide by saying that, look, you can you can work remotely six times a month, which translates to, you know, two three-day weeks and two four-day weeks, basically. So that's why I called it 3.5. And I thought it actually was a really good middle ground between mm -hmm. these two points. Uh, because I actually, well, I'll, I'll get into this in a second. So 3.5, uh, apparently they have been walking that back a little bit. Uh, and now they're now they're kind of going back to... So when you say walking back, is there a new mandate involved? Is there Are people not going to the office at all, and so they have to take a stricter line? Or You know, they're, they're bringing in the kind of 
actually, well, what are they bringing in, Catherine? I don't remember off the top of my head because I've got it mixed in with in my head with what Ropes and Gray is doing, which I also wrote about. So I wrote two of these stories last week. So you need to tell me which one was the one they were doing. Thanks for that. Um, really depend no. on you to know your own stories. I don't understand why the, why that would be true. Did you hear what I did last week? <laughs> right, and I was writing a lot of stories to make oh, sure that we had content okay. on our oh, website. Oh, it's all about you. It's uh, no, not, so, it's just not all about you. So Okay, so so in, so here's what's happening. Uh, whereas Ropes and Gray is pushing out the thing, the, the cravat thing is actually going the other direction. It seems to be moving toward fewer days, almost mm. like a 2.5 a week schedule in that they are only required to go into the office two days a week, but encouraged to go more. Uh, so it's more like 2.5. On the other hand, it is mandating what those two days are, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And this kind of goes back to that Ropes and Gray art, article too, which they have more days on their calendar, but they are also demanding that they be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mm -hmm. And in both instances, my sense is, I, when it comes to hybrid working, I feel like firms fall into two not quite great camps. One is the camp that says everybody should be back in the office all the time, which is not particularly a reality in the world post-COVID, I don't think. Right. Uh, the other are a group of firms that believe in allowing hybrid work, but think that the selling point to folks is more three-day weekends, uh, which is not. Uh, I don't... It's also, those are less valuable when you have to work the entire weekend, so... It, exactly. And it's not that... Uh, the love of this is, uh, at least as I've been hearing from the conversations I've had with folks, uh, other than those who are, you know, opposed to going to their office altogether, it tends to be about flexibility. It is not that they care to have a three-day weekend or a four-day weekend. They... And it's not weekend, but work from home. It's that they they want the ability and the flexibility to say, oh, for me, grandma can watch the kids every day except Tuesday, so that's the day that I really have to be home. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that, oh, you know, I was able to get uh, an appointment that I really needed for, and I'm going to keep using kids because I think a lot of the feedback I've been getting are, are about raising kids. Sure. Uh, Oh, you know, the this thing that we have to do with the kid, it can only be done. I, I was only able to get it this next Wednesday, so I'm not going to be here Wednesday. Uh, it's that flexibility where the firm understands they don't expect you in the office five straight days, and you can say, you know what, this is the day I, ca I can't be here. Mm -hmm. That's what people want. And so it loses a lot of its power, no matter if you're down to three days or two and a half days, it loses its power when you say, but Tuesday and Wednesday are the days you have to be here, or sure. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I do whatever. think it's interesting, though, that Cravath went from this sort of what you dubbed as idolized flexibility schedule that actually required, or at least tended to suggest that you should be in the office for more days a week into less time in the office but more of it, you know, very clear when that's when those days are. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting kind of seeing what firms are deciding that they need, right? It's not the actual physical time in the office that is nearly as important. It's th this is at least what it feels like from watching these things happen from the outside at a variety of different firms. But a full staff day 
on designated days is more valuable for that kind of soft learning for, you know, their junior associates. And we've talked extensively mm-hmm. that I think the number one reason that firms are really pushing uh, for at least some clear times back in the office is to make sure that their younger, less experienced uh, associates are getting trained up in the way they need to. We all know law school doesn't actually teach you to be a lawyer. It's done at the law firms. And it's a lot better to be taught in person than it is over Zoom. You know, in a weird way, I've, I've almost come around to the idea that the shorter week was doomed to fail, as in a four-day flexible in the office was always going to be a better model than trying to go toward three or 2.5. Because when you go to three and 2.5, you run the risk of what you're saying, mm-hmm. of people being in the office when no one else is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get ships passing in the night, at which point they say, oh, if we're going to have this, we're going to mandate that these be the two days. And that destroys the flexibility that made this whole thing worth it. Four days and flexible you know, four days, there's going to be you're gonna overlap. overlap with somebody in your group. There, there will be a day that you don't, but you're, you're going to overlap with people a substantial amount of the time. Mm-hmm. I actually talked with a general counsel at the, uh, of a major American company while I was at ACC, mm-hmm. and we talked about working from home policies, and he keeps his law department in the office for about four days a week. And we kind of talked through these issues and we both came to the consensus that we thought that the four day is the ideal that because it prevents that, you know, ship passing in the night. Mm-hmm. He was also on board with, look, I just need the work done. I want them to be flexible and can pick where, where what days they go in and out. But you know, I need to make sure that people overlap enough. It's definitely very much an evolving issue. Certainly, we thought that we had a handle on Cravath's policy, and then it got changed. And and yeah. and I, I, as whether you agree with their initial policy, their revised policy, I do appreciate that the firm is able to adjust, recognize what is and isn't working for them as a firm, and say it's not just written in stone. It's a time where we all have to kind of figure out what works best. And and this may not be the final iteration. Yeah, I think that's right. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found.
Okay. Uh, and I think we'll actually continue some of our conversation about this post-COVID back to the office. What does that all look like? There was a memo that went out at Slaughter's in May detailing... Slaughter, right? Slaughter. Slaughter in May. Slaughter, yeah. Fair enough. It's like maths. I just add the S when we're talking about... Oh, yeah, when we're talking about Britain. British, oh, British, see, see? oh that, that was a good save for what was clearly a screw-up. Good job. <laughs> You're delight. So mm-hmm. happy to have you I'm, back. Yeah, no, yeah. everyone's glad I'm back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they... Uh, put out an extensive memo detailing some of the, their policies about how folks should deal with this exactly these flexible working situations. Specifically, they made it very clear that if you are on a video call between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m., you are not required to put on your, your camera. So got a little permission slip for, <laughs> for, you know, having your hair up in a, in a high bun that is not necessarily the most flattering. Um, so you can feel free to kind of be comfortable, although, you know, having to take a work Zoom during those hours is enough of a burden. You shouldn't also have to make sure you have on lipstick. So I appreciate that. Some of the other guidelines that they made is that, you know, on Friday nights, you only have to check your email once. <laughs> and not after 10 p.m. And then over the weekend, you should be checking your email roughly twice a day. So, uh, and they did it. They, they, you know, a bunch of folks spoke out about what happens and it was really an an effort to make things more tenable for their associates. Working from home often means a lack of boundaries, which is why some people actually do prefer the office because they have, you know, their work brain and they have their home brain and it's different. But people were constantly checking their emails and feeling like they were obligated to do even well into the evening and for things that may or may not, you know, actually be urgent. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you do need to check your email over the weekend. That's why we all, you know, get all of our push notifications. But you, you know, you have to have some balance. There can be time that you can carve out that you can just dedicate to perhaps carving pumpkins <laughs> or whatever, you know, home-based task that you're currently focused on. And you don't have to always be checking, constantly be looking. They've kind of set this up so that people can try to, you know, create a little better work-life balance for themselves. Of course, there are a couple of big caveats. Oh, are there? <laughs> and listen, they have to. They have to do these because you never know what's going to happen. And I don't think it really takes away from the intention of setting up these rules. But the first is that you always have to be available by phone. Oh. Something happens, and yeah. they need to get a hold of you. You need to. You can't just be like, "Oh, it's the weekend." Decline the call from senior partner X. No. Got to be available by phone. The second uh, caveat is that if you are working on a matter where you feel it is required for you to be in constant communication, you should be in constant communication. So if you're working on a TRO, continue to check your email, even at 1 a.m., which, you know, obviously it's the nature of the legal profession at the highest levels. Clients expect that level of responsiveness. You have to provide it. When it's truly urgent, but I, but I do think that this system at least creates some guidelines where you don't feel like you should be yelled at if you didn't check a midnight email that was like, in two days, can you please do X? Yeah. So. I, I also wrote just a, as a quick aside, an article about the magic circle firms mm-hmm. in the UK that was interesting. A study was released that suggests that if they don't get aggressive in mergers, uh, they are likely to be 
crowded out of the market entire the elite mm. market entirely by the American firms, which I thought was an interesting, you know, new development. We'll see. Right, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how it all being, kind of plays out. But these and sort of all the ways in which we're figuring out how post-COVID or hopefully post-COVID or mostly post-COVID, we get back to normal, I think are really interesting and that we're watching them play out in real time. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I think for our final segment, we'll take a little bit of a different turn. Not so much about big law and post-COVID life, but let's talk about Kanye West. Obviously, folks know the rapper, now legally known as Ye, has been on a bit of a tear lately, um, doing a series of just wild and inappropriate things bunch of anti-Semitic rants, refusing to back away from those comments, uh, saying that George Floyd did not die because of police uh, brutality, but instead because of fentanyl. He's actually facing a giant lawsuit as a result of that. Is, uh, it, is it the same kind of fentanyl that all the kids got in Halloween? <laughs> well, you know, if kids can get that for free, they are doing a better job than most. <laughs> Dr- drug dealers giving away drugs for free. It's not really in their it's best not interest. Really, yeah, no. no. Especially to children who don't actually have the money to then purchase to then it in the future. It. Yeah. Anyway, also said uh, wore White Lives Matter shirt, bunch of just wild and inappropriate comments, kind of that we've unfortunately come to expect from Ye. As a result, there were some reports uh, last week that he was going, he was looking for legal representation. Uh, Camille Vasquez from Brown Rudnick, uh, who previously recon- uh, represented Johnny Depp in his defamation case against Amber Heard, was rumored to be his lawyer in quote business in his business interests. A couple days after that came out. Uh, Brown Rudnick was like, uh-uh, <laughs> yeah. we are we are very much not <clears throat> representing Kanye. It, rumor was that it was because uh, the star refused to back away from his anti-Semitic comments. Mm-hmm. Not the only big law firm, though, that has either disavowed working with him or backed away from their previous representations of him. We have three others. We have Cadwallader, we have Pryor Cashman, and most recently we have Quinn Emanuel. Kanye has a bunch of business deals that have gone under as a result of his comments. He lost his deal with Adidas, Balenciaga. His uh, agency stopped representing him and he needs a lawyer and for all of these things. And because of his comments and his his unwillingness to back away from the anti-Semitism in them, people just are un, uninterested in that business. Well, and this, yeah, um, and this goes to a philosophical question that we've dealt with on this show a number of times, dating back to when, like, I remember me and Ellie doing a mm-hmm. show about this too. There is this maxim out there that everyone deserves a lawyer, uh, which is certainly true at criminal in the criminal context, definitely true. And it should probably be more true in certain civil contexts. I think landlord, family tenant, law. family. Yeah, yeah. yeah what a, but they don't deserve you as a lawyer necessarily. And certainly no one deserves a billion dollar, several billion dollars worth of money from a shoe company. Right. Well, I, I mean, that, I'm putting that to another side. I, this idea, I think there are people who will react to these firms dropping him as a client and saying like, ah, oh, that's just such a betrayal of what it is to be a lawyer. As a lawyer, you're supposed to be able to advocate on behalf of any client, whatever. And that I don't think that's accurate. Uh, you 
don't necessarily need, especially if you're a lawyer who has a business that you have to care about, uh, other clients you have to care about, you are not obligated to say because Kanye wants to pay you some legal fees, you should put at jeopardy the fact that all your other clients don't want to be associated with you if you do that. Mm -hmm. That's a business decision and a fair one. And just because you aren't in a position to be a lawyer, there is a lawyer out there that could work with him. Uh, he's not, you know, he does not have a right to choose one of the AMLAW 100 firm. Right. Well, he has a right to try, uh, but no AMLAW 100 firm is obligated to take on those, that case, right. and they have to weigh that out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, in Quid Emanuel, they actually had an initial statement before they dropped him as a client saying that they were, in light of their obligations to existing, because they already had, apparently, Kanye as a client, so in lieu of their obligations to their client, they were sort of under review, and then the next day it came out that they were not going to be working with him any longer. And I think that that kind of, you see that at work, where there are obligations you have, you know, professional obligations to clients, but you also have professional obligations to the firm and to the rest of your clients. And if that is impacting that, you know, you don't, that's, I think that's an okay to great decision that they're making. Yeah, no, it, it, it is an interesting uh, philosophical divide. I think I actually have pushed back a lot on the way in which the legal industry has has draped itself in this because uh, a lot of times they drape themselves in it as a way of justifying bad behavior. Mm -hmm. um, oh well, everybody deserves a lawyer, but you don't. You don't in all these contexts, and it's clear in this one. Multiple firms decided mm -hmm. that this was definitely a loser not, issue not for them in their as a best whole. Interest. And it was really interesting too because Quinn's representation of Kanye became public because Kanye posted on Instagram stories a bunch of text messages or what appeared to be text messages between himself and an attorney at Quinn. Yeah. So, you know, about that waiver of privilege. Yeah. <laughs> Not doing great. Anyway, so, yeah, I think at this point we're probably done with the show. I think so. Yeah. And we and we didn't even touch on so many legal issues, but this was a jam-packed jam -packed jam -packed week, week that you basically got to miss. Oh. What? oh. Whoa. What the? <laughs> Anyway, no, you so were busy conferencing. I was. You should subscribe to the show, you know, yeah, if you're listening to it. on your podcast listening service of choice. Yes. For sure. Uh, also give it reviews, stars, write something. That mm -hmm. all helps. Uh, you should be listening to other podcasts like The Jabot, which Catherine hosts, or the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable that I'm a panelist on. You should be listening to other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Mm -hmm. You should read Above the Law so you can read these and other stories before we chit-chat about them. Follow us on social media. The blog is at ATL blog. We're mm -hmm. at Joseph Patrice at Catherine one. It's a numeral one. Numeral one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you know. Yeah. What, what, what else should they be? I've lost my train of thought out of nowhere. The, did you talk about the legal tech journalist round table? I, I did already. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't listening to you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just, just telling it just like it violent, is, my friend. Violence chosen out of nowhere. I should, I should make this like, a, you know, show wrap up thing more interactive so that, you know, to to catch you all not listening to me. You know, you say the same thing enough weeks in the row, which all just snaps and crackles. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, read all those, follow us, listen, and uh, have a good week, y'all. Bye. 
If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.